0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 23rd, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Another highlight from the recent Constitution Day events at the Cato Institute, Tom Goldstein is most widely known for his publication of SCOTUS blog, the blog that chronicles the ins and outs of the nation's high court. He gave a preview of some of the most important cases at the Supreme Court docket this next term. The full Constitution Day audio is available at Cato.org. The first one is FCC v. Fox, uh, which is the case involving fleeting expletives. There's television cameras here and good people, and so I won't give you any fleeting expletives. Uh, Most expletives directed at me are not particularly fleeting, um, but you get the idea. Uh, the, the case arises from, in particular, the 2003 Billboard Music Awards when Nicole Ritchie, who's the daughter of Grammy Award-winning uh, singer and producer Lionel Ritchie, turned to Paris Hilton, who is just somebody, who is an heiress to the Hilton Hotel for, uh, fortune, and said, Nicole, to Paris, Paris, do you know how hard it is to get cow shit out of a Prada purse. It's not so effing easy. She didn't use effing. This raised the important constitutional question, how in the world do these people get a television show? (laughs) Which has manifested itself in the Supreme Court in the question of whether, not whether the FCC can constitutionally regulate that sort of fleeting expletives, because the FCC announced a policy that it would henceforth fine broadcasters for that kind of conduct uh, and content on their networks. Uh, but could the FCC, consistent with the Administrative Procedure Act, we have to take a very interesting case and dull it down as much as humanly possible here. Consistent with the Administrative Procedure Act, shift its position on the question of whether the Radio Act, a really old uh, statute passed by Congress that also applies to television broadcasts, uh, allows the FCC to make that prohibition. And so the Court of Appeals here said when the FCC used to say it was okay to have a fleeting expletive, you probably couldn't see that coming, they said about the broadcasters. And now the FCC has turned around and said, we will fine you for that. The Court of Appeals said here that that was uh, an unexplained and unwarranted change in position because (coughs) the FCC has various exceptions for its rule and the like. And so for those of you who care enormously about administrative law, I sympathize, the, but in general, this is uh, your case because it's a very interesting factual pattern for an administrative law case. When the case turns in its later stages, assuming that the FCC wins the APA question to the First Amendment, it will truly become even more interesting. Um, the Another sort of speech-related, if not free speech case that's before the justices this term is the case of the summum the Summum and Pleasant Grove, uh, uh, Utah. The Summum is a very interesting religion with about seven adherents in uh, Utah. They are very committed to it, so let me not say that it's not something that shouldn't be taken seriously. But the Summum are convinced that uh, God gave unto Moses not merely the Ten Commandments, but Moses then basically kind of forgot that God also gave him seven aphorisms. Uh, that play out more fully the laws of nature. Uh, The summum recognized that in Pleasant Grove, the Pleasant Grove, uh, this uh, city in Pioneer Park, has a, a series of monuments including a Ten Commandments monument, and the summum would like to correct the error of the fact that the Ten Commandments accidentally leave out. It, sort of Maybe they were written on the back or something originally, and people have only done the monument one-sided, have left off the seven aphorisms. And so they have gone to Pleasant Grove and said, we'd like you to post, you've got your Ten Commandments here, let us fill out the picture with the seven aphorisms. And the, this, Pleasant Grove thought about this for a long time and said, no, thank you. Uh, and, um, you know, we the Ten Commandments. There are a lot of people who are into that, and we actually have a policy that says we will take monuments from organizations that are either have a long-standing tie with Pleasant Grove or uh, ha- are doing something that relates to Pleasant Grove. And we don't see that uh, with respect to you, unlike the Fraternal Order of the Eagles, which gave us the Ten Commandments monument. And that the Tenth Circuit held contra Pleasant Grove's view that they had to allow the the aphorisms of the Summum to be uh, posted. The, the Supreme Court uh, chuckled and uh, granted cert. The, the questions are really, you know, is this government speech or instead private speech? The defense of Pleasant Grove is that, look, when we posted the Ten Commandments monuments, that was the city speaking. Uh, it was not us providing a forum for anybody else who wants to speak. Uh, and also, is the Pioneer Park a public forum? How the case will be resolved is, a, is an open question. I think that the, the betting money, there's a lot of betting money at the Supreme Court. We have a whole sort of, that we give odds and things. Uh, but the, the betting money is more that Pleasant Grove will come out ahead in this. But it's one of these ve- fascinating puzzles about the intersection of speech and uh, the government and religion. It's not a Ten Commandments monument case. Uh, But it does raise uh, uh, a lot of very interesting questions about what uh, public parks and the like would be like. Uh, if the summum were to prevail in the case. Um, A couple of other bodies of cases will continue themes from the previous term. So, for example, last term, we had a lot of law about preemption. There was a case about the FDA and medical devices in which the Supreme Court held that if you get pre-market approval for a medical device, that's going to preempt a state law tort claim. So a stent is approved by the FDA. You can't then uh, uh, bring a common law tort action under state law. Uh, And we had another preemption case that involved the delivery of things like alcohol and tobacco to minors uh, and whether a state could require special inquiry into uh, shipments made into homes of those kinds of products. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of preemption in both of those cases. We have a couple more preemption cases on the docket. Another one from the FDA, this one involving not medical devices but instead drugs – in the Wyeth case, when you get approval from the FDA for the uh, production of your drug, uh, and also another tobacco-related case involving light cigarettes, and whether the FTC's regulation of tobacco advertising has given rise to a preemption of state regulation of of, of state law tort claims about. Uh, tobacco companies advertising their cigarettes as light and that supposedly implying that they were safer uh, than other cigarettes were. Uh, another continuing body of cases involves the Fourth Amendment. The- in the Supreme Court right now, as we all know, the Second Amendment is a very cool amendment. We're very into the Second Amendment. The Sixth Amendment, uh, uh, the right of confrontation, is also very uh, hip. We're, uh, we get a lot of wins for people asserting the Sixth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment is definitely a sort of Lehman Brothers cell at this point. You do not want to be uh, holding a lot of Fourth Amendment claims. The Supreme Court has really uh, carved back substantially, both on the substance of the the Fourth Amendment, but also the application of the Fourth Amendment through the exclusionary rule, uh, which says that if uh, evidence is seized in violation of the Fourth Amendment, generally it can't be introduced in the case-in-chief. It's the remedy for most Fourth Amendment violations. Uh, And the Supreme Court has another series of Fourth Amendment cases before it. The leading case is called the Herring case. uh, And in the Herring case, what happened is that a police officer saw somebody that he knew had had some run with the law, and he checked with his warrants clerk, and the warrants clerk said, "Uh, we don't have any warrants for his arrest. And the cop said, well, ask that county next door. And the county warrant clerk next door reported that there was a a warrant for his arrest, and so the officer went and arrested him and searched him incident to arrest, and as is uh, so often the case, uh, found guns and drugs and you know, everything you're not supposed to have. Uh, uh, And the question before the Supreme Court is, is the screw up by the warrant clerk next, in the county next door, their negligence in keeping track of the warrants enough to uh, trigger the exclusionary rule because there really wasn't a warrant. The court, the warrant clerk messed up. That warrant had been revoked in that other county and the question is, okay, this was an illegal arrest. There was no warrant for his arrest uh... can uh... issue the evidence nonetheless be suppressed and uh... A majority of the supreme court the more conservative members of the court have made quite clear that they view the notion of letting the criminal go free because the constable blundered as very suspect uh... and there has been momentum uh... to narrow the application of the exclusionary rule uh... so i think that uh, you know we could go through uh... case after case after case but i think those are Uh, If you take the general body of cases, carving out the national security and labor cases that we'll talk about uh, going forward, those are, I think, some of the highlights for the term. I think when you talk about cases that haven't yet been granted, which it's worth pausing on for a moment. So, all right, the docket is two-thirds full, 60% full, doesn't have a lot of front-page cases. What's coming up that might be very interesting? Well, the court is very likely to hear a case challenging the constitutionality of the extension of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 5 is the pre-clearance provision of the Act that says for various counties that are named by Congress and various jurisdictions that if you change your uh, procedures for voting, you have to get the permission of the U.S. Department of Justice or the District Court for the District of Columbia ahead of time before you implement that change. Uh, And that has been challenged, and that is directed at uh, making sure there isn't racial discrimination in voting. Uh, That has been challenged as unconstitutional race discrimination itself. Tom Goldstein has argued many cases before the Supreme Court and is publisher of SCOTUS blog. He is also a partner at Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can hear more Constitution Day events at cato.org.